With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchases, prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello and welcome to the Football Fanalytics Podcast in association with 23. This is the show that combines our love of football and very average Sunday league playing experiences with our knowledge of football statistics and data analytics. We've just come off the back of the international break and you are listening to episode 18. My name is Ryan Bailey and with me as ever, he's my analytics other half. <laughs> it's Mark Carey. Never described you as my other half before, but how are you? <laughs> I'm okay, I think, after that. Um, <laughs> Did I just make it weird? Sorry, everyone. Yeah, we'll go with it. Um, no, I'm, uh, I'm good, thanks, mate. I'm still, I'm still riding high from, uh, from last week and the reception we got from, from the episode with John Murray. It's been great. It was a real success, wasn't it, actually, in the end? And <laughs> I don't think we could thank John any more than we already have done. No, but, I know, you know, yeah, we have thanked it, him. <laughs> but we've said that a lot. But um, but yeah, it was a really good episode, and I, I think, as you say, thank you to everyone for all the kind messages and uh, and sort of responses and support we've had uh, off the back of it. Hopefully, there's more where that came from, you know, in the future. Absolutely, yeah, we've got hopefully some some good guests lined up as well. We're as we said before, we're in conversations, aren't we? It's just getting the, we're in talks, yeah. It's getting the uh, it's getting the personal terms sorted and then uh, and then we'll be flying but no I'm good thank you mate how are you yeah no no not bad not bad um obviously as I mentioned in the intro just come off the international break so looking forward to the resumption of the Premier League bit weird isn't it the international break I kind of never have the same buzz we discussed this earlier in the week via text didn't we that never quite have the same buzz at the moment uh, as I do for Premier League football and I'm not really sure why I know I mean I, I never want to say that I don't look forward to football like we, I still enjoy watching England, but it just doesn't have the same pull to me that that obviously watching Liverpool or watching the Premier League does. Um, but why is that? Because obviously, like you know, when the tournaments are on, you know, when the World Cup 2018 was, and every two years prior to that, you know, I, I'm I'm in it and it's there and it's the it's all you want to talk about. And it's all you want to get away from work to do. So what what is it about the sort of international breaks where there's 
slightly lesser fixtures perhaps what I, you know what is it i don't yeah i mean there's yeah there is that in that if there's friendlies on you're never as bothered by friendly even if it is club football so i think there is that element to it i, I this sounds terrible to say but I know you said like yeah everyone do everyone loves a world cup everyone loves a european championship i agree but when we went out in the world cup semi final which obviously everyone was gutted about it almost got to the final i wasn't half as gutted as if that were liverpool losing in a semi final i remember coming off it thinking oh well whereas if that were liverpool really? i would it would have ruined my evening ruined my next day uh, yeah true true see that's madness to me i I'm, I'm not quite at that level you know i'm i might not be as up for England Iceland in you know th- the Nations League as I was in 2016 when we lost don't want to talk about that too much yeah. um but no when oh my word no when the semi-final England happened I was I was all over the shop but then again I'm not I don't know if we've even spoke about this a pod before I'm not a huge fan of a specific team as such like you am I you know I don't I don't really have a sort of a love of Liverpool like uh, like you do for any other team. So maybe it is a different kettle of fish for me. Uh, yeah, I guess. I mean, that kind of feeds into my theory on it as to why maybe I'm certainly not as bothered by international football. And my kind of analogy that I was thinking of earlier in the week is, you know, like you can say like you choose your friends, but you can't choose your family. Oh, okay. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. It's like you can choose your club, but you can't choose your country. Do you know what I mean? Like it, I, yeah, I'm yeah. not that bothered about... I'm bothered about England. I know we spoke about that, but like, I'm not as bothered by all of the people who I don't like of a of a Premier League season, other than Liverpool players coming together, and then I'm suddenly <laughs> supporting them. I, I don't know. I, I, I'm just not as bothered by them because I'm not bothered by them the week before when they're playing against Liverpool. So why am I bothered about them now? But then I know that it's part of the the wider, obviously, international football. I don't know if I'm making any sense here, but it, it it's just, yeah, my analogy would be that you can't choose your your country, but you can obviously choose your club. And then that's where the sort of the passion comes from with your club. But I just maybe lack it a bit more. The other thing I'd say is that my club is currently doing quite well. I don't know if he's yeah. mentioned about this, but I think that some people who maybe support clubs in lower leagues, seeing England on the world stage is quite like a big deal. And they can support their country and it's at the highest level whereas they might be watching a kind of a poorer standard of football in their for their club or whatever standard that the 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 club is at it might not be like high in the league it might be sort of fighting for mid-table of which then the excitement comes from watching watching football internationally again I don't know if that kind of makes sense as well but I think it's just it just depends really it's just just my opinion I read an interesting article by Jack Pitbrook a few days ago and it was it was quite a good headline it was something along the lines of are England actually any good or not? <laughs> and it was off the back of the Belgium defeat where we essentially, you know, dominated and, and played really well against the world's number one ranked team, but we lost 2-0. <laughs> and and it's quite interesting. I don't know. Are we any good? You sometimes feel like you're like poking your fingers in your eyes, don't you, when you're watching England sometimes? Um, uh, some of the teams... I love Gareth, don't get me wrong. In Southgate, <laughs> I trust, always. But some of the team selections are... I'm not sure I'm quite behind and you know I'm not an analytical or managerial genius but when I saw the front three against Belgium of Grealish, Kane and Mount it was screaming for someone just to like it needed pace. pace in behind yeah, yeah. And, and and if I and so many others think that it's, it's so interesting to think that Gareth Southgate and his team didn't think that at the time it, was there an alternative plan I don't know I just it's so it's so weird with England you feel like you have an entitlement to sort of 
make comment, don't you? But I have no idea if we're any good or not. I just feel like everyone always just complains. But, you know, it's a bit of a weird one in the international break. Yeah, I, yeah, I know. And yeah, the final thing I was saying, which I guess is a repeat, is that are we any good or not? The, the question for me is like, am I that bothered? And the answer is probably not that bothered. Mark so. hates England, everybody. Yeah, what, no. what's, where's this come from? <laughs> no, I, I said I said my point already, but I, yeah, who knows? We're always going to just be hanging on until the next uh, the next major tournament, and then think that we've got a chance, and then we get knocked out, and then it's just until the next two years. So that My was a really downer. Sorry, that was a really yeah. negative point. <laughs> wow, cheers. Should we just cancel the pod now? <laughs> and that's all for today. Thanks, everyone. <laughs> uh, final thing on this before we crack on with the episode. My girlfriend Heather's dad um, sent me a picture of his England 11. You know, on BBC Sport, you can put oh, your yeah. 11 together. I'd, I'd love to get your analytical view on this. It's brilliant. So in goal, he had Nick Pope, which I think you would agree with probably. I know that he was... Uh, a big choice in your fantasy team mm-hmm. and then across the back four he went for a 4-3-3 three, three. back four fairly standard he's got Kyle Walker at right back you know admission of Trent and all the others was a bit odd Mings, Keane, Chilwell I can kind of see that then this is where it gets interesting in, in his three in midfield he's got Grealish, Foden and Mount all mm. <laughs> wide attacking yeah, players yeah he needs a bit of an anchor there yeah and then up front he's got Sterling Sancho down the middle and Kane on the left wing I'm not really sure how or why. Um, so he's essentially got six attacking players in his uh, in his lineup. Um, maybe that's something that Gareth might be interested in to make us a bit more exciting. Yeah, I mean, let's get Heather's dad on the bench. <laughs> no, Gareth. <laughs> Attack. Anyway, enough of that silliness. Let's get on with it. Let's get on with the pod. So, as we mentioned, the international break has just come to an end for this year, which obviously came off the back of a very busy Premier League schedule. And then now off the back of this international break, the busy Premier League schedule starts again. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, You know, there's a lot going on at the moment, isn't there, Mark? There's a lot to digest. And, you know, we thought we'd have a throw our thoughts in on that, didn't we? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's exhausting for the fans just watching. I think we spoke about it last week in terms of forgetting sometimes that there was a Friday tea time kickoff that it's mm. hard enough for the fans to keep up so never mind the players in terms of their like rest and recovery and it's no coincidence that we're seeing an increase in muscle injuries because the players just aren't getting the the rest that they require from the sports science staff who are telling them they they just simply cannot go on like this if they're not going to get um yeah the proper break in between games so yeah, it's just sort of reflecting on our thoughts. And I think one of the key ones is is obviously how much how much rotation there is between the lineups themselves and obviously the opportunity to on this five substitutions rule. I know that there's been pushed towards that that final Premier League game before we start the international break. A lot of there was Odegaard Solskjaer wasn't there, uh, Klopp and yeah. Guardiola saying about this five substitution rule. Um, I don't think I've actually asked you so far what your thoughts are on it of whether you think it should be introduced or not. Well, first of all, you know stuff's getting serious when Ole Gunnar Solskjaer breaks his nice hmm. uh, public persona face and he starts slamming the the schedule and the and the organisers. And then even more so when Klopp's getting involved with Solskjaer and they're teaming up about it. So Yeah, who would have thought it? Do you know what? The difficulty for me is it's quite hard to take on board sometimes when managers like Guardiola and Klopp and Solskjaer are complaining about it. I totally get the scheduled thing. It's difficult though when you don't see like Pep making many substitutions. I read an article that was a bit like it's quite hard to 
digest what they're saying when they're not actually taking or making use of the squads that they have available. I, you know, I, I don't know enough about it. To me, the five substitution rule, if, if everyone else in the world is doing it, I don't see why it hurts. But I then also think you do have to consider the, the fact that it allows the bigger clubs to flex their muscles a bit more, doesn't it? So I, I don't know. It's so hard. It's, it's, it's such a, it's such a conversation to be had by people who are much more in the know than, than me or you are, um, which is obviously the most sitting on the fence thing I could say. But, <laughs> you know, if the little teams are saying it's not fair because the big teams get to flex their muscles, but the big teams are saying, well, we've got a massive game schedule that the little teams don't have. We need we need that that room. Where, where do you go from that, really? They're, everyone serves their own interest, don't they? They're, they're never going to sort of... Everyone's going to do what's best for them, which... It kind of is just the way things are, isn't it? So I'm not sure what I think is the long-winded answer. To what you asked. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, yeah, I'd, I'd agree with that. In that, it, there's going to have to be. Well, there is a compromise somewhere, and it's such a grey area because what suits one team doesn't suit another team. But I think to pick up on your point of, yeah, the big teams aren't actually then either making the substitutions or rotating yeah. enough. I think is an important point. And yeah I, I think that yeah that they could do a lot more rotation for their starting lineup and then still be able to make the three substitutions i think there would be more value in that more so than actually having the five substitutions in the first place i mean again just thinking of liverpool that i know that trent obviously pulled up in i think it was his calf muscle for an injury against man city but he played in played so many minutes yeah like they could have they could have rotated from the start and then maybe bring him on sort of thing so I think it is a bit of on the manager for a bit of duty of care to rotate the starting lineup and then you wouldn't have the problem of substitutions as much because yeah by definition got a different starting lineup so it is a difficult one we're never going to solve it um but I, I yeah I also find it weird that they've done it across the whole of Europe except for England um, I think that's a bit of an odd one as well yeah 100 percent and you know, I think listeners would probably have their own opinions on this. Obviously, get in touch with us and let us know what you thought. It's such a, it's such a difficult one. Without, it's a bit like politics, isn't it? There's always going to be, you know, all sorts of different angles to come from, and trying to find that happy medium. You're never going to please everyone. I think something that we can agree on is nobody likes to see the long injury list that is occurring at the moment. And something that I saw a few days ago as well was from uh, Fantasy Football Hub. I was obviously thinking about my fantasy football coming yeah. up this weekend. And they um, they listed a load of um, players who'd been injured during the international break. And the list goes something along the lines of, I'm reading it now, Doherty, Chilwell, Schmeichel, Sterling, Yarmolenko, Egan, Robertson, Salah, Stevens, Coleman, Cody, Robinson, Ake, Gomez, Bergvijn, James Ward-Prowse, Fafana, Trent, all flagged up as, uh, really? as, as wow. unavailable. And I know, obviously, you know, Salah isn't an injury. Salah is for different reasons and, and various. But but the list of sort of, you know, unavailable players at the moment is pretty mad, isn't it, through various, various circumstances? Yeah, and that feeds into the whole, like, the quality of players on show obviously going down. That's I think that's where I understand the managers in saying, like, if, if you're paying millions and millions of pounds to see the best players, then you, if you're just putting them out to get injured each you know each and every week and there's that that list is going to grow and grow and grow especially throughout the season there's going to be more players getting injured then you think well you're getting a poorer quality of play so a lot of the people that you listed there were really high profile players and you think well Absolutely. now the the quality of the, this weekend's fixtures is going to diminish because you haven't got the best players on show so um yeah again it's a tough one um obviously thinking thinking from a liverpool perspective our whole back four is completely <laughs> gone 
every single one. Yeah, to, to a greater or lesser extent. I mean, obviously, the, the Van Dyke one is just... That was an innocuous injury where, obviously, it wasn't a muscle injury or anything like that. It was just a, no. a challenge. But um, the Joe Gomez one doesn't sound good. Um, no. The Trent one was... That's a calf strain. I think Andy Robertson's is a hamstring strain. So all muscular ones. Again, it just doesn't doesn't look good. It doesn't sound good. No, it doesn't sound good at all. I've seen loads of memes <laughs> all across the board. One of them was like when Klopp asked Shakiri to play at centre back this weekend. <laughs> it, was, it, was, it was an image that made me laugh. He's like three foot four, isn't he? Yeah, it's all it's it's all anyone's been talking about, isn't it? Because your team has literally been dropping like flies. Yeah, for for various different reasons. I, we actually got some a good response, didn't we, this week in terms of one of the uh, the visualizations that we did with the twenty three content toolbox. I don't know if we told you, Ryan, but we're in association with twenty three. Are we sponsored by twenty three? I don't think we really go on about it that much, but uh, maybe we should <laughs> a bit more. But uh, no, we yeah we posted a visualization put out on Twitter and it got a good reception, didn't it? Because it was about uh, Van Dyke actually sort of looked at the defensive action areas um, that the back four make where on the pitch they make their defensive action areas before the van dyke injury and after the van dyke injury so pretty much five games either side and it's a small sample size as we keep saying but interesting to see and while it's a visualization it's on our twitter if people want to see it it essentially shows that before the van dyke injury that both fullbacks were that a lot of their action areas as you would imagine were quite high up the field even with their defensive actions they were pressing really high up the field and getting up into the definitely into the final third and then post van dyke injury they've retreated a hell of a lot and that's most likely so that they can contain the shape and make sure that they're not caught out in behind because obviously one of the advantages of having van dyke and gomez at the back is that they both got their recovery pace and they can cover um, and play that such high line where without van dyke maybe there was fabinho filling in and Nat Phillips, obviously after that, and Reese Williams in the Champions League, was that they just don't have that that strength and pace. So that the fullbacks clearly, by looking at this this visualization, they they had to yeah just be a bit more conservative in their play. But then that obviously affects the them going forward. This this visualization is their defensive actions pressing high, yeah. but that actually obviously then diminishes their attacking options because they, Liverpool play so well and using those fullbacks. So. It's an interesting one. It, it got some good attention, and um, we got into Liverpool.com, didn't we? The uh, <laughs> is it a dream of, of mine, at least. But uh, no. um, but yeah, no. David Hughes, who uh, is a really nice guy, does some great work, uh, analytics writer. Um, used our visualization in his in his article, so we're grateful for that. If you just said to me at the start when we did this podcast, you'd have something published in Liverpool.com. <laughs> I mean, that's 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 absolute gold, right? <laughs> Um, yeah, no comment. But uh, no, we- <laughs> <laughs> it's amazing though. Like you say, that I mean, everybody knows it's hardly a clever comment to say that Virgil Van Dijk has a big impact for Liverpool. But when you see it like that, and you see the yeah, actual yeah. effect it has on the whole shape and the whole strategy of the team, it's it's quite it's quite bonkers, really, isn't it? What you know, what an influential player he is. And do you reckon those you know, so with the movements of Trent and Robertson? in those positions would that be Klopp telling them to be more reserved would you think or is that them sort of being more aware of the fact they don't have the covering behind them to 
to sort of have that free roam. You know, it, I know you're not Jurgen's assistant, so I don't know why you'd know. But but you know, it's quite interesting to think about that. Yeah, I think it's an interesting point. I think it's probably a little bit of both. I think there's a key part to play was their their change of system off the back of it, where they've. I think it was the Sheffield United game was the one, the next Premier League game after Van Dijk got injured that they went into a, a 4-2-3-1 and normally they'll play a 4-3-3. Yeah. So having essentially four attackers, which they also did, they did pretty much a 4-2-4 against Man City was that mm. the change of the actual system and change of the um, formation meant that the, the fullbacks maybe weren't needed as much as their when they typically played four three three, so I think that's probably one. But then also, yeah, very aware that they haven't got as much pace in behind because they've they're having to deal with m- makeshift centre backs potentially in terms yeah. of Fabinho and um, and junior centre backs in terms of Nat Phillips and uh, and Reese Williams as well. So I think it's yeah, if if not by design, then definitely they both fullbacks would know that they've got to just make sure that they're looking behind them before they go ahead which normally the likes of Henderson would just fill in at, at right back or on the right side with yeah. Trent going on ahead so um it's probably a little bit of both I'd say well James Milner just fills in anywhere yeah exactly yeah and yeah both <laughs> both I mean, normally yeah it would be anchored by Fabinho Wijnaldum and, and Henderson either side and then it just they're the the protection to let the fullbacks go and do their thing but Obviously, putting Fabinho at centre back means that then he's not in midfield, and then you've got to change it from a four-three-three to a four-two-three-one. So there's one injury or a couple of injuries can change the whole system and the dynamic of each individual player as much as the the wider system. So I think there's definitely something to be said in that as well. And as you said, that visualization is up on our Twitter. So for any listeners who haven't seen that already, do go and take a look. It's uh, it's lovely to look at. Can I just say, Mark, you've out done yourself it's taken you 18 episodes but you've managed to shoehorn in a whole section on Liverpool <laughs> and their formation their tactics their players you've done a brilliant job you've managed it well yeah thank you <laughs> I mean yeah you're impressed but no I as I often tend to do when I as you say shoehorn it in is that I do think it's it's relevant I try to make sure that it is always relevant and the reason it is relevant obviously is that the high profile injury example obviously Van Dyke in this example but obviously was Joe Gomez as well during the, the yes, international yes. break um, which I think we should we should talk about for the rest of this episode I think it's some exciting uh, an exciting topic to to expand on maybe how Liverpool could they'll never it won't be a replacing Gomez and Van Dyke, but a lot of there's been a lot of interesting articles. Um Tom Warville did a really interesting article, um and Sam Maguire's done one. And I, I've been looking at the alternatives for maybe a Van Dyke and Gomez and I realised Sam Maguire um had done one once I'd already done a bit of my background research. <laughs> so Sam, if you're listening, the players that I'd we're gonna come on to, I realised that he had actually included in his article, but it was I'd already genuinely looked at those uh, those players, so I haven't been copying him. I swear, but um, yeah, I think we should maybe talk about some uh, some alternatives to for Liverpool to maybe actually go into the transfer market because they might have to now um, and and look for who could be a, a good backup for Van Dyke and Gomez. So I'm not shoehorning it in. I think it's a very appropriate topic to discuss, Ryan. You can stop me if you disagree. <laughs> oh come on then, let's do it. <laughs> yes, okay, thank you. Right, so off the back of this injury news, I thought it would be a good opportunity to dig into the 23 content toolbox again and go on the Discover tool. 
So for all the listeners um, who aren't aware of the discovery tool, um, we can actually pop one of the uh, the blogs on that um, that Mark Thompson put on recently of kind of how it works. But essentially, it's it's very similar to what we did in episode eleven, Ryan, where we could we we did find me a forward similar to, whereby you can enter in a number of different uh, metrics, performance metrics, put them all together, and say what other players are similar to this player that that I want to to discuss here. So obviously in this case, we're going to be talking about Joe Gomez. We're going to enter in a number of metrics and say what other players around Europe are similar in style and in performance to Joe Gomez. So is it like a recruitment tool normally then? Is that what people use it for? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So recruitment tool, look to see who's out there, who's got a similar style, who's got um, similar performance metrics. And I'm just going to share with you which metrics I've entered in, which ones I thought were were most relevant for for a yeah, centre back. Yeah. So just flying through it, I've got aerial duels one. So if they're good in the air, ball recoveries completed. So picking up on loose balls, defensive actions successful, defensive duels one, passing accuracy, forward passes completed, interceptions, and long passes completed. So I think from a Liverpool perspective, it's someone who's essentially like Joe Gomez, good in the air wins a lot of their their duels when necessary um, and good on the ball as well because Liverpool obviously are quite a um, dominant team in terms of possession so you want to make sure that you're you're good on the ball comfortable on the ball uh, comfortable playing forward passes in terms of maybe some line splitting uh, passes um, towards the midfield as well so they're the ones which I thought would would be most relevant Um, and then you can add a couple of extra filters so I've added in for all of the, the data to be from so far this season and uh, all of last season as well uh, you can include the leagues in as well so i've included all the top five european leagues so mm-hmm. obviously english premier league french league one or french league uh, uh german bundesliga italian Serie A, spanish la liga so looking at the top five european leagues and you can specify it right down to the the granularity of what foot they are i thought because joe gomez is playing he plays the the right of the the two in terms of centre back I think he's had to fill in on the left because of Van Dijk's injury but typically on the right um, so I've specified that the players that we want to look at uh, must be right footed as well so you can go down to that well that's good because there's a lot of chat recently actually isn't there about left footed centre backs being really useful yeah. and you know a bit of a rarity so I guess it's good that you can specify to that point yeah absolutely yeah if you want to you can specify height age all sorts using this tool so it's really good um really useful but i've i've put in all of those metrics for those two seasons of this season and all of last season across top five european leagues and i've got a bit of a short list which i thought we could just talk through as to which players are most similar to joe gomez on collectively putting all of those together um who are most similar to joe gomez can you guess who might be most similar oh okay well, that's on the spot. Um, there's a lot of chat about Upperman Carno at the moment, I always seem to read. So I'm going to take a punt and go for him. Yeah, I mean, he isn't, but he's he's a real big... Uh, he's been heavily rumoured with Liverpool. I think he's a, he's a brilliant, aggressive defender, really young. But he's not uh, similar to Joe Gomez. Well, based on, the, based on the tool and all the similarities of these specific things, um, that's not what it's saying here. But I do think he is a, a really good player. Um, and definitely want to watch. I think you'll get a big move very soon. But yeah, based on all of the metrics that that rented here, which um, which are using Y Scout data in terms of all of the metrics that we're using here, um, the the most similar. So it has a similarity score from zero to one hundred percent using this tool, and the most similar is Virgil Van Dyke at ninety six percent. Now that <laughs> well, I, that's I useful. Think, exactly, that is really useful. And there's I think there's something to be said in terms of maybe not purely on the 
sort of the ability side of things but in terms of the similarity of style it makes complete sense that the that a player that does a lot of these things that i've entered in would be someone who is their defensive partner so i think that sort of already bodes well in terms of style as much as the actual success rate means i trust it yeah, exactly. Yeah, so he's he's top of 96%. Um, we don't need to go into Virgil van Dijk because Liverpool don't need to sign him. Um, but there's, there's <laughs> no. a couple of others on the shortlist that I just kind of wanted to talk through. Um, the next on the list was uh, Fernando Calero at uh, Espanyol, um, who is at 88% in terms of similarity. And I mean, we'll, we'll come on to whether or not Liverpool even need to actually sign a player. There's been a lot of rumours saying that they don't, they aren't actually going to dip into the January transfer window. Yeah, I read that this week. Exactly, yeah. So um, this is all just kind of a, a really good exercise in just looking to see who, who could be a potential option. But What's yeah. your opinion on that, by the way? Do you think they should? It's, it's difficult because it depends when the likes of Fabinho. Fabinho is fully fit, hopefully very soon. Joel Matic, you can't rely on him with injuries, um, but he is a very good player when fit and certainly do a job. I mentioned about Reese Williams earlier. Um, Nat Phillips isn't great on the ball, but he's an aggressive um, header of the ball, very good aerially. Um, and Billy Cometio, who has got, who's, I think he's maybe 17, 18. He's, there's, he's got a bright future, and, and Liverpool think uh, you know, very highly of him. And he's just come back from injury, but hasn't made a first team appearance yet as well. So there's other defenders who are still in the club. It's just whether or not they want to get experienced cover and someone from. From yeah, the top five European leagues who actually would be um, be able to just sort of slot straight slot in. straight in, yeah, yeah. Go on then. But, um, Sorry, I interrupted you. No, it's okay. So F- Fernando Calero is um, so yeah, Espanyol. He's he's a neat and tidy sort of ball playing defender. Um, in terms of aerial duels, one he's in the in the lower twenty twenties percent. Um, so he's not too strong aerially. Um, I think the main strengths of Fernando Calero that's sort of similar. To Joe Gomez is that he, yeah, he is a, a neat and tidy passer of the ball so he's got strong passing accuracy of 90% um, with his passes and makes a lot of forward passes um, as well so I think his similarity there is because of uh, how, how good he is kind of on the ball more so than maybe his, his actual defensive uh, ability even though yeah. he, is, he is yeah a neat and tidy neat and tidy defender um, so at 25 years of age Yep, he's sort of in the right profile of someone under 26 for Liverpool to sign, but um, I'm not suggesting they do sign. I'm just saying that he's um, highly similar here. Um, if they were to, he might be an option. Yeah, he might be in the, not even the short list, maybe the long list, I don't know. But the third one um, is Stefan Savic, who you might remember used to play for Man City as well, but um, a very good defender at Atletico Madrid, who's 88% similarity um, using the toolbox. He is kind of, the opposite in that he is very good aerially. He's a bit of a bit of a man mountain, isn't he? He's quite a sort of a back foot uh, reactive defender um, in winning a lot of aerial duels, um, yeah. making a lot of ball recoveries. Um, he's he's not too bad on the ball. Eighty six percent passing accuracy um, makes um, a good amount of forward passes as well. But m- most commonly, he's, he's quite a reactive defender and that kind of goes along with Atletico Madrid's style doesn't it in terms of being just making sure that they're sitting back and that first and foremost they're strong defensively yeah. I don't think he would be someone we'd suggest play for Liverpool because of Liverpool's high risk high reward high line I think putting him in there would be he'd be a fish out of water absolutely um, so at 29 years old as well I don't think again he's, he's going to be a reasonable replacement but it, again it's just what the uh, the tool is, is showing here um, my tip of the day 
is um, the one that I'm, I'm really excited about and I think he's a really good player is um, someone who Sam Maguire put in his article and I'm annoyed that he got there first um, is Edmund Tapsoba um, so of Bayer Leverkusen and at 21 years old I just think he's a really exciting prospect I know everyone is talking about um, Upamecano at, at Leipzig yeah. as you mentioned but um, Tapsoba I think is, is really good he's 81% similarity to, to Joe Gomez using this tool um, but he's he's a really strong, athletic young player, really fast and, and very good and very comfortable on the ball. Um, I think it's important to say as well that he normally plays on the the left of a back three or a back four um, for, for Leverkusen. So Gomez obviously playing on the, the right side of a four. It might, might take him, you know, a bit of adaptation, but he is a right-footed player. So hopefully that, would, that wouldn't be too, too much of an issue for him. Yeah. Um, but he yeah, very comfortable on the ball. And I know that obviously a lot of people have been talking about Jonathan Tarr at um at Leverkusen as a as a replacement or as a as a potential target for Liverpool at twenty four years old. But I think as, as a younger prospect and potentially a lower market value for, for Tap Sober, um, I think it could be a, a good shout to uh to go for him. I think yeah, he's he's strong in, in aerial duels. Um, as I say, very good at um, ball recoveries as well, but really strong in terms of his passing accuracy. He's got 92% passing accuracy, which is in the top 90th percentile of, of all central defenders in nice. in Europe. Um, and forward passes completed as well. Um, really strong in, in that as well. So he's a very good ball playing uh, centre-back, really young and definitely loads of opportunities to uh, to grow there. But I just think his style is is just lends itself really well to Liverpool. And he's very calm on the ball. As I say, very athletic. He can make a lot of uh, line-breaking uh, passes as well. So um, he's my tip of the day, I think. We do love your tip of the day. And um, very quickly, I was just thinking about, you know, earlier you mentioned recovery pace, which is something that both Joe Gomez and Virgil van Dijk have to allow mm. the fullbacks to bomb on. How would you, as a metric, sort of, measure that because is that a bit more difficult to sort of get as a percentile value when when using this tool yeah using the tool i'm not i'm not exactly sure i think there's you can sort of had add multiple layers to it where you can obviously then use this sort of tool as we said before to then go look into the video and uh, and actually look to see how the the player actually responds Fine. And so you'd have to do your second layer of research basically to find out something yeah i mean as with any recruitment tool this would always be the you know potentially the first the starting point. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, the starting point to uh, to then go and look into the video and then look to to see kind of deep dig a bit deeper in terms of the the style. But I think ball recoveries completed is sometimes a good indicator to see how well that they can you know get to get to a loose ball ahead of a uh, someone else. But then yeah, actually measuring the the pace of someone is is definitely something you'd want to see in the video. I, I know that they do sometimes um, use tracking data to to log the the speeds of certain players as well. So if you can dig yeah. into that and get your hands on that, then that's also useful. Um, but they wouldn't have like miles per hour on these these sorts of metrics of, of the player's pace. It's a really useful tool, isn't it? I mean, I guess my question would be, you've obviously mentioned players from La Liga and the Bundesliga. So as we've touched upon in the past, how would you know that that player that you were sort of looking at was going to then slot in to the Premier League? Because obviously there's the sort of different levels of quality and all sorts of different factors in there within the different leagues yeah I think that's that's a good question I think it's a, the sort of one of the most important questions going right now in terms of recruitment of just how each player can adapt to each yeah. league and I think if people did have the answer to it 
you know, really clearly, then they would have solved a lot of problems in in recruitment because they would know that they would be, um, you know, be able to slot straight in. Um, but yeah, I think there's two things to kind of say in it. I think there's the the league almost tailoring and attenuating the the metrics for each player, which is done quite widely in sort of football recruitment to tailor the the metrics depending on the league difficulty. Now we're talking mm-hmm. about the top five European leagues, so there's not as much here. But let's say that someone was tearing it up in the Russian first division, yeah. Them then dropping into the Premier League, the difficulty of that that league is far higher. So you might need to sort of yeah attenuate their their metrics and think, okay, well they're not going to replicate their performance in the Russian league quite as much as the the Premier League, for example. So I think there's something to to be said about league um league difficulty and also yeah. i think league style as well so for example la liga might be more of a ball playing league they might make more passes per game than potentially the bundesliga and again the yeah. premier league as well and the premier league kai havertz when he when he arrived didn't he, he said that it's just how fast the the league is that he needed to adapt to the the style of the league as well so it's good to to again attenuate the so for example here you know we've got the ball recoveries completed um aerial duels won if you're coming from a league where there's loads of aerial duels being made because the ball's in the ball's air has been lot, pumped in yeah then you're going to you're going to win a, a bit more aerial duels whereas if it's i know the area divisie is typically quite a uh, yeah a ball playing league where there's not the ball's not in the air all that much then if you you're going to look a defender's going to look like he doesn't win many um aerial duels when really it's just because the ball's not there much so i think they're not been asked to yeah exactly yeah so i think there's there's definitely something to be said about the league difficulty uh, and league style as well i think they're, they're key things when when uh when looking at the transferability of a player between leagues i saw a brilliant video a few days back and it was a clip of the brazilian fourth tier and it was so hmm. good there was like rainbow flicks everywhere and it was like liquid football for uh for want of a non-alan partridge term um but then obviously you know then i had to think oh well it is the fourth tier so who knows how that would uh actually translate if we sort of put that style of football in the premier league yes, i mean yeah but um but no i think that tool i think it's a wicked tool as always uh, as all the other ones in the content toolbox are and uh, and cracking job uh, for looking into it, Mark. Thank you. Yeah. So as I say, we'll put this blog from Mark Thompson just with a bit more detail about the the discovery tool or the discover tool. Mark Thompson really helps us out, doesn't he? Yeah. <laughs> we'll just chuck one of his blogs on. If in doubt, yeah, we'll just we'll just check it to him. But um, yeah. Sorry, <laughs> I did say discovery tool. It's the discover tool. Um, but we'll we'll put that on on there as well. And as I mentioned, uh, Tom Warville had a really interesting article on um on the Athletic uh, of five different options when Virgil Van Dijk was uh, was injured as well for people that could be a replacement for um in liverpool's uh, defense so we'll put that on as well and uh, and sam mcguire's one who got in ahead of me on the edmund taps over as well we'll include that in the uh, in the bio below but i think all of this is important to say in terms of liverpool i've managed to get a full episode out of liverpool a full I've, episode I on liverpool can't believe it but um as i say i think the caveat is i don't know whether the liverpool actually will go into the market and whether it's worth them spending money now to know that within 12 months they'll have their their first choice partnership back in Gomez and Van Dijk so yeah it's almost like you need to ride it out isn't it potentially exactly and that's why I was looking well there's two sorry just quickly there's two ways you can go I think you can go young of someone who's 20 21 Upper Meccano's 21 Tapsoba's 21 and know that they might be less so with Upper Meccano maybe Tapsoba might be accepting of the fact that it's a big move to 
a bigger club and he might need to buy his bide his time because he's only young and then eventually he'll he'll be first choice or maybe just get someone in quickly for a year or so who's maybe 29 30 and just think hey we're going to get that player and just use him as a as a stopgap until until the big players come back which Liverpool's model of, of recruitment isn't that so I don't think they'll do that I do think they're just going to ride it out and just uh, maybe give opportunities to some other players. Yeah, you don't want the uh, Odian Agarlo version of a defence yeah, exactly. this January. The less said about that, the better, yeah. <laughs> Brilliant. Well, thank you very much, Mark. Top work from yourself, as always. And thank you very much to everyone for listening. That's all from us today. Um, as always, we'd love to hear from you. We want to hear your feedback. Uh, anything you'd like us to talk about on the pod, please do get in touch. You can reach us via email on fanalytics.pod at gmail.com and also we're on Instagram and Twitter at fanalyticspod. Cracking episode, Mark. Thank you very much. Um, We'll look forward to seeing you all next time. Sports Social Podcast Network. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.